You're listening to a sermon given by Robert Green at Redemption Hill Church on Sunday, May 17, 2020. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. Got your Bibles, open them up as Chris read to Luke chapter 10. As you're doing that, some of you might be familiar with this little tidbit of, of trivia, but in 1965, uh, IBM actually coined a new term to describe how computers could do multiple things at once. They came up with a word that had not been in the English language before to describe what their computers were able to do. And do you know what they called it? It's a word that would forever change the way that you and I understood and lived our lives. The term is multitasking. Yep, 1965, IBM coined the term multitasking to describe all the different things that their computers could do at once. But, but here's the thing. You and I aren't computers. Consciousness and being differentiate us from machines. In his book, Essentialism, Greg McCowan explains throughout the book that the idea of multitasking is one of the greatest hoaxes of our day. You and I talk about someone who can multitask or you and I talk about multitasking through our days and and what we mean by it is is someone who's on top of everything, who can get multiple things done, who's, who's efficient. But in his book, he argues that multitasking really means that we're just distracted people who don't do anything very well. In fact, here's a quote from the book. He he said, when I hear people say that they're multitasking, all I hear is my attention is scattered, I feel stressed out, and I don't do anything well. Did that just describe any of your COVID lockdowns? My attention is scattered, I feel stressed, and I don't do anything well. COVID has launched us all like a ship out into uncharted waters. At our fingertips 24-7 is the unprecedented power of technology. And the experience for many of us has not been one of a release of the pressure, having to travel to fewer places, having to actually go physically to different meetings to see fewer people. Rather, for most of us, we're, we're experiencing altogether a new kind of pressure, a pressure to fulfill our roles as workers, as parents, as friends, as caretakers, as brothers and sisters in Christ without the normal rhythms that have always defined and anchored these roles. And then if you're anything like me, you you listen to the unending number of expectations from everyone else around you about what you're supposed to be doing and how you're supposed to be doing it. And the pressure only begins to mount. Now, all of a sudden, we we have to take advantage of this new and precious extra time. We should be learning something new, picking up a new instrument, learning a new language, learning how to cook. We should figure out how to to clear out and, and reorganize. Something's been bothering us for a long time because all of a sudden, we've got all this extra time, right? I could show you the emails that I have gotten from people asking me, how am I enjoying all my extra time off now because of COVID? But here's the thing, it's, it's in this season as our necessary dependence on technology has, has grown exponentially in an instant and, and all the expectations about how we're supposed to spend our days have changed so abruptly. It's in the, in the midst of all of this that, that you and I become most vulnerable to, to feeling in heart, like, 
we're being tossed to and fro like a toy boat out on the ocean feeling in heart like we're being pulled in every single direction. And I don't know if you knew this, but did you know that the word distraction actually means to literally be pulled apart? Distraction is what the French used to call being drawn and quartered. When they would tie someone up to four different horses, an arm and a leg to each horse, and then send them off running as a means of torture, literally pulling someone apart. They would call that distraction distraction of heart being pulled apart in every which way that's not a recipe for joy that's not a recipe for an anchored and connected heart the scariest thing though about distraction is that you and I are becoming very conditioned to it our ability to actually think our ability to actually listen Our ability to be present and to connect with one another or with God himself is actually being damaged by our willingness to be conditioned by distraction. All of a sudden, the attention of our hearts is being pulled in every which way and being able to discern the the greater things from the lesser things becomes increasingly difficult. And the result is that we feel like we're being torn in every direction. We're being tossed about on the ocean like a toy boat. So what we need, especially now, is to be anchored, to be stabilized, to be secured in heart. And so this morning, we're going to look at one last encounter with Jesus, where where someone is again seen by Jesus, and and Jesus responds to seeing them with an act of compassion. But this morning, his compassion is going to look a bit different than it has in the past. It's no less loving. It's no less compassionate. It's just different. And the reality of it is the timing of this story couldn't be any better for us this morning. So Luke chapter 10, verse 38, let's enjoy this text of God's word together. Luke says in verse 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus and his disciples and and those who are following him, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, if you've been familiar with the Bible at all, if you grew up in church, if, if you know some of the stories, you're familiar with Mary, you're familiar with Martha, you're familiar with their brother Lazarus. These were Jesus's close friends. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus deeply. Now, as a man, Jesus had no place to lay his head, but as he would pass through the town of Bethany, a suburb of Jerusalem where this family lived, they always gave Jesus a place to stay. Martha and her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus, they were a suburban family outside of Jerusalem who loved Jesus. That's who they were. And Luke tells us something in particular here in the beginning of the story. He says that where Jesus is being welcomed is actually Martha's house. There's a particular point that Luke makes. It's Martha's house. Now, we have no idea how this came to be. We don't know if this family was a wealthy family And Martha was the one who, as maybe the oldest, was responsible for all of these things, or if maybe Martha was a widow, and that's how she came to be the owner of this house. We're not really sure. But by saying this, Luke is indicating to us in this moment that Martha is the responsible one. And so you've got to see the scene. As we we look at the humanity of the story, you've got to read it like a human. 
There's a good chance that as Martha is welcoming Jesus into her house as he's traveling along, she's not just welcoming Jesus in, but she's welcoming in all who are with him. His disciples who would be traveling with him, the crowd who might be with him. They're all being welcomed into this environment. So just imagine that for a moment. Imagine Jesus and his followers in your house. And imagine that in the context of of the cultural value of hospitality that existed in their day in this part of the world. This is a big deal. And I want to be careful not to dilute the weight of this by trying to say, you know, imagine someone like, you know, the president of the United States coming into your house because Jesus is so much more than that. But, but even more so, this is her friend. This is someone that she loves and who loves her deeply. It's not just him in his power and in his celebrity that's coming over. It's, it's her friend. So I want to be careful not to dilute the reality of this, but it was a big deal. And Luke says in in verse 39 that Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, it would be very natural for a teacher or for a rabbi like Jesus when he came into someone's home like this, welcomed in, for him to take the position around the, the table, leaning or reclining at the space, and begin to teach to sit and begin to teach. This is what he did. His disciples would then gather around him at his feet in a position of submission, recognizing his authority and wanting to receive from him. It was natural that this was happening. Jesus is taking the opportunity to teach. Mary is taking the opportunity to listen. That would be unnatural in this situation. You got to understand that what's happening right here is utterly countercultural in their day. It was unheard of for a rabbi to have a woman as a disciple. Rabbis did not have women as disciples. In fact, many rabbis didn't believe that the Torah should be taught to women. They believed it would have been an intellectual waste to try to teach women God's word. But not Jesus. Jesus rejected these cultural dynamics wholesale. And so here in verse 39, Mary is doing what was natural for a disciple of Jesus, what's natural for a follower of Jesus. She's submitting herself to Jesus to hear from him, to learn from him. And I want to rescue this picture a little bit from history. The the paintings of the Renaissance in particular, as beautiful as many of them are, they give us a bit of a skewed picture sometimes of of biblical stories. I want to rescue Mary from this fawning kind of fangirl clinging at Jesus' knees and feet looking lovingly up at him as he speaks. Mary's not a, a fangirl of Jesus here fawning over him. Mary is a disciple. She is sitting at her feet with the rest of the disciples listening to Jesus, wanting to hear from Jesus. That's a tremendously bold and courageous thing for a woman like Mary to do in that day. This isn't a fawning fangirl. This is a bold and courageous woman who wants to follow and learn from Jesus. I I love this. You don't see that in pictures anymore, but Mary's sitting and Mary's listening. Martha. Martha, on the other hand, is, is getting frustrated. Verse 40. Martha, Martha, Luke says, was distracted with much serving. There's our word, distracted. 
Do you know that the Greek root for this word distracted means to be pulled apart, to be pulled away, much like the way it meant in the French when they would talk about being drawn and quartered? Martha's heart is being pulled apart by all of the tasks that she has before her in her mind to give Jesus the best. She's not being torn apart by email. She's not being torn apart by Netflix. She's not being torn apart by Facebook and social media. She's being torn apart by all the things in front of her and trying to give Jesus her best. Serving Jesus is pulling Martha's heart away from being with Jesus. As Kent Hughes, the great pastor, wrote a tremendous commentary on, on the book of Luke, he He said, the burden of the beautiful meal keeps dragging Martha's heart away. She's getting frustrated. She's about to boil over. You imagine her making noises as she's bringing things in and out of the room. If she's anything like me, at least, she's making sure her displeasure with the situation is being known by everybody who's around. She might huff a little bit or or breathe a little heavier might drop the, the, the vase of water down on the table a little bit harder. I, I don't know what it must have looked like, but, but you could tell, you could tell. She's frustrated. And so she goes up to Jesus, verse 40 says. She went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Martha is mad that Mary isn't helping Now, understand, in her cultural context, that would be a very valid concern. That is what traditionally and culturally women in the home would have done if someone like Jesus and his disciples came over. But that's not what Mary is doing. So Martha says, Jesus, go tell her to help me. I mean, don't miss this. She's telling Jesus what to do. And while you're at it, Jesus, why haven't you said something to her already? And why have you let this keep going on? Tell her to come over here where she's supposed to be with me, doing what she's supposed to be doing, what I'm doing. And don't you care about me anyway, Jesus? Do you not care about me in this? Martha is so distracted by the burden of the beautiful meal, the beautiful house, the beautiful space burdened by the duties to serve Jesus that she missed in this moment, Jesus would have preferred her company more than her food. He would have preferred Martha to be with him rather than being busy trying to work for him. Listen, Luke has already told us back in Luke chapter 9 that Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. Every step he takes on this journey is a step closer to the cross. He's told his disciples multiple times already what's going to happen when he gets there. He's journeying to his death, to the cross. But Martha is certain that in this moment, what she is doing for Jesus is exactly what Jesus needs and what Jesus wants. And she's convinced in her mind and in her heart that Mary should be doing the exact same thing that she's doing. So we're just going to park here for just a minute. Martha was distracted with ministry to Jesus. So busy doing for Jesus 
that her heart has been pulled away from being with Jesus. So eager to do for Jesus that she's not able to be present to receive from Jesus. Listen, friends, this is so easy to get caught up in. We, we can get so focused on, on doing our thing for the kingdom, so focused on the passions that God has given us, the gifts that he's given us, the opportunities he's given us to see those gifts used to advance his kingdom, to serve him. We can get so passionate about those things that doing for Jesus can become something that pulls us away from being with Jesus. We can get distracted from Jesus himself altogether. Here's the thing. It will look great to everybody else. I mean, Martha looked like the epitome of a servant's heart. Doing for Jesus and all of his disciples and this crowd in this moment. But if we're not careful, uh, our agenda for Jesus can become more important to us than his agenda for us. The burden of the beautiful, whatever that might be in, in our hearts, the burden can become a distraction. It can pull us away. Now in this COVID season, it, it might not be the, the clear busyness of activity for Jesus that can distract us from being with Jesus altogether, but the burden of the beautiful, that, that good thing that your heart is focused on, it can deplete you even as we quarantine apart from each other. No, you, you can't host people physically like this, but you can, you can host a whole new set of expectations in your heart about your time that begin to distract you and exhaust you and pull your heart apart. It's altogether too easy, just like we see with Martha, to become distracted by doing good things, good things for Jesus. And it pull us away from the priority of being with him altogether. But secondly, the thing that's important here is that Martha thought that Mary needed to serve Jesus the same way that she does. You see, in Martha's mind, what she was doing for Jesus was the most important thing for Jesus right then and there. So simple, so easy for you and I to get caught up in the same thing. If these were good Christians, if they really loved Jesus the way that I love Jesus, then they would be just as passionate about my cause as I am. They would be serving him the way that I am. They would be doing what I am. They would be doing the hard things like I am. Their life would look like mine. They'd sacrifice like me. They'd prioritize like me. If you really love Jesus, this is what you'd be doing. Let, let, me, let me ask you a question here about the text. Who put these burdens on Martha? Who put these expectations on Martha? Martha did. It was a, a self-imposed ministry responsibility. And if we're not careful, sometimes our, our self-imposed service for Jesus actually chokes out the joy and grace and compassion of the actual service that we're trying to extend. Martha thought she knew what was best for Jesus. And in that moment, she thought she knew what was best for Mary. 
She had a wonderful plan for Mary's life. Mary just needed to get with it. But Jesus and Mary aren't getting with Martha's agenda. And so she's frustrated. She's irritated. She lashes out. This is her own little John McEnroe moment. You can't be serious, right? The ball is on the line. Dust is going everywhere. Come on, Jesus. Don't you see what's happening? Is it in or is it out, Jesus? How are you going to call this situation? Verse 41, Luke says, the, the Lord answered Martha. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, that's not what Martha expected. But it's what she needed. And here's the thing. If you're anything like me, you, you've heard probably a, a stern, rebuking voice from Jesus if you read the story. Growing up, I, I, I always heard this in a very firm, corrective tone. But while it is corrective, it's, it's couched in the deepest of compassion. You see the, the usage of the name twice there, Martha, Martha, the double usage right there. Anytime you see that in Semitic languages, it's, it's always trying to indicate something of importance, something of intentionality, something uh, of value right there. And anytime you see a double usage like this used in the Old Testament where God is speaking, or you see it in the Gospels where Jesus is speaking, anytime it's always connected with their weeping for God's people. When Jesus looks at Martha here in this moment and she comes to him frustrated, anxious in heart, and he sees her. Just like he's seen everyone else that we've been talking about in all these different stories, he sees her and he responds in compassion to her. It looks different than what we've seen, but it's exactly what she needs. Martha, Martha. This is love. This is compassion. He doesn't heal her, her blind eyes. He doesn't open her deaf hearts. No, he goes after her heart. Martha, you're anxious. Anxious has the same root as the word distraction. Jesus could tell that in her heart, she's being torn in every which way. Martha, you're troubled that word means to be tossed about like an unanchored boat in a storm. Martha comes to Jesus in her frustration. Jesus, in love and compassion for her, gives her the very thing she needs most. He exposes her heart to her. He puts his finger right on the root of the problem. Her heart had become unanchored and unhappy and unsettled and torn apart. As good as everything looked on the outside in the moment, all the busyness, all the serving, all the planning, Martha wasn't throwing down chips and dip for Jesus and his disciples. The way this is written, Martha was putting together something beautiful and elaborate for them. All the work that is going in, all the things that she is doing, all the pace and, and all the busyness, Jesus could see right through it and see that it wasn't love that was motivating all this service. It was anxiety. 
all this busyness for Jesus wasn't being born out of a deep love to him in the moment. It was, it was born out of an anxiety. It wasn't grace-driven. It was anxiety-driven. And this is where the Bible is so helpful to us and frustrating at the same time. I wish sometimes it would tell us exactly where the anxiety came from, exactly where the frustration came from. That way I could see it in my own heart or dismiss it, but that's the danger. I would dismiss it. So we don't get those kinds of details, but we can read the story like a human. Maybe Martha being the one whose house it was and who was responsible, maybe she was anxious about pleasing Jesus and his guests. I mean, would the meal, would the house, would the space, would the time together, would it reflect well on her and on her family? In her heart, Martha had decided there was something that she desperately needed. I don't, I don't know if it was the approval, if it was the acceptance, if it was being seen a certain way. Again, you're reading into it in that moment, but she decided there was something that she needed and she wasn't getting it. Now, we don't know exactly what it is, but if you're honest with yourself for just a moment, you can relate. And the anxiety, the distraction, the anxiousness was pulling her heart away from the necessary thing. 10,000 little things she thought needed to happen the way they needed to be done in order for the right thing to occur had pulled her heart away from the one necessary thing. So busy for Jesus, she's being pulled away from actually being with Jesus, listening to Jesus. This kind of distracted anxiety, it, it can produce some pretty fruit. I mean, everything about Martha in that moment looked good. It looked unselfish. I mean, she was the picture of a servant in that place and in that moment, but inside she's being torn apart cast about by all these unmet needs that she's determined she needs to have. John Bloom, who, who writes for the Desiring God website, he, he said in an article somewhat related to the story, he said, it's the desire for approval dressed up to look like caring for someone else. What we see here in Martha may very well be this desire for approval from Jesus, from his disciples, from the crowd, dressed up to look like she's actually caring for them. Sometimes this, this kind of pace, this desire in our heart, it can look so good even to ourselves that we convince ourselves it must be real. Jesus' correction of Martha. And it's an act of love to her and love to us, even today. Let me ask you, friends, as we're going through the story, just consider in, in all of your serving, who are you actually serving? Who are you actually serving in all of your service? I mean, could it be that out of a, a self-conscious anxiety about what someone else might think, uh, an approval that you feel like you have to have, you're actually serving your own glory in all of your serving of others? Maybe so if your heart is left in the midst of it being tossed to and fro, feeling like it's being distracted and pulled away from what's most necessary. But don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Notice that 
Martha came straight to Jesus with her honest struggle. Jesus listened. He took notice and did for her what she needed the most. Jesus exposed the unhealthy root in Martha's heart that was pulling her away from what was most necessary, being with and listening to Friends, I want you to understand that nothing about Jesus has changed. He still speaks to us by his word, calling us to be with him, to know him. And as we do, as we listen to him, as we're with him, as we enjoy him, he still reveals to us out of love the dangerous roots that lurk inside of our hearts. His word to us is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern between all the thoughts, the intentions, and the motivations in our heart. I mean, sometimes it's, it's hard for us to be able to, to sift through all of the expectations, all the things we think we have to be and, and have to need. We, we feel so compelled to meet all of these needs that these good things can begin to pull us away, tear us away, distract us in heart from the main thing. We can be left feeling drawn and quartered in heart. But as we sit with Jesus, we listen to Jesus, as we pour out our heart to Jesus, like Martha, our friend, he helps us to see ourselves more clearly. It's the most loving and compassionate thing he could do. Friends, in a season of uncertainty, when the temptation to be distracted in heart, to occupy ourselves, to try to escape from the different realities we're trying to work with today, in a season of, of such uncertainty, when we find ourselves trying to be busy to meet so many varied expectations, some that are new that we're hearing that we're putting on ourselves. And it can all look so good. It's easy to be torn away from the one thing that's most necessary. The one thing that gives shape, that gives structure, that gives energy for all of the good things that we go and do. It can pull us away from being with and listening to Jesus. Jesus looked at Martha in love and it's his compassion that compelled him to correct her, to expose the roots in her heart. And he said, one thing's necessary, Martha. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now, it would be easy for you and I to dismiss what was just said if one of our friends said it to us, but Jesus just said this. So don't dismiss what he just said. I mean, realize Martha thought in her heart that everything that she was doing was necessary. I mean, she was serving Jesus. She was serving the disciples. She was serving the crowd. Everything she was doing was necessary. Mary, she's serving herself. I'm serving Jesus. She's serving herself. What I'm doing is what's necessary. Don't, don't miss it. Jesus saw it differently. What he saw was a storm brewing in Martha's heart. Something so significant that in his love for her, he corrected her and then had it recorded for you and I. 
No one thing is necessary. The good portion, that's what's necessary. The good portion, the necessary part, it's a choice, and, and Mary chose it. What was the good portion? What is the good portion? What is necessary? What did Mary choose? Mary chose Jesus. Jesus was Mary's portion. One thing is necessary. Being with and listening to Jesus. That won't be taken away from her. Friends, we're no different than Mary and Martha and the disciples and the crowd were then. Our lives, even in the moment, are ordered by what we love the most. What we love shapes our priorities. It shapes our schedules. We will make time for that what we love the most. What we think we really need. What is most necessary. The best portion. We will always have time for that. We make time for what we're most enthralled by and, and passionate about. Mary made Jesus her portion. And Jesus said that was the most necessary thing of all. Now, we need to be very careful here. For centuries, people have made this story the, the foundation for creating this, this sacred and, and secular divide in how we understand the way we live our lives. The church for centuries, in, in a different tradition, has said, look, Mary chose sitting with Jesus, listening to Jesus, being contemplative with Jesus. All that other stuff, all that busy work, she put that aside. She was just with Jesus. Their best life, the sacred life, is leaving all those things behind and spending all of your time sitting to, to listen contemplatively with Jesus. That's the sacred life. Therefore, we have whole traditions in the church that have cast aside the realities of life in the world and, and sequestered themselves off in spaces where they do nothing but sit and listen. In our particular tradition, this idea has filtered in. And years ago, I was around a campus ministry that that would subtly communicate to college students who were loving Jesus and, and serving Jesus on their college campuses that the best life was the life of the pursuit of full-time ministry. If you really loved Jesus, you would pursue full-time ministry as a campus minister. All that other stuff was secondary to this. This is the sacred life. This is the best life. If you couldn't do that, if you couldn't raise money, or if you couldn't do those things, then maybe you could go get a job. But this is what you should pursue. But here's the thing. If, if anything, Martha represents, not Mary, Martha represents those who go into the full-time ministry. Martha is the one whose heart is distracted by trying to do for Jesus rather than be with Jesus. That's who Martha actually is. I love how John Calvin clarified it for the church in his day. Calvin said, on the contrary, we, we know that men and women are created for the express purpose of being employed in labor of various kinds, that no sacrifice is more pleasing to God than when everyone applies themselves diligently to their own calling and endeavors to live in such a manner as to contribute to the advantage of everyone. Calvin just said, no calling is more sacred than any other. It's no more sacred of a calling for me to be a full-time pastor than for you to be a full-time employee in the IT world, in the medical world, in the education world, or in your home. 
all callings are sacred in that sense. But in any calling, it's easy to get so distracted in the pursuit of the beautiful, the just, of the mercy, that we wind up drawn and quartered in heart. So distracted by doing for that we're pulled away from being with Jesus. And here's the irony. I spend the better part of my week, at least half of my work week, most weeks if it goes well, studying to be able to teach God's word. But here's the irony in the whole thing. I can get so distracted, pulled apart in heart by all of the things that I feel I'm supposed to be doing for Jesus in this role, all the expectations that I feel like different people have put on me that I've just put on myself. All these different things that busy me in heart and mind for the ministry to Jesus that I get pulled away from actually being with Jesus. Even getting ready for a morning like this, I can be pulled away from actually sitting with, listening to, and enjoying time with Jesus that's meant to give shape and contour and edge to all of the good works that he's prepared for me to walk in before the foundations of the earth. He's not against doing things and good works. He prepared us for them. He's against those good works that draw us away from being with him. It happens to me even getting ready for a morning like this. I can get so busy so distracted by the layers of expectations and, and an anxiety about meeting them all that, that actually being with Jesus gets put on the shelf. You and I can trade the one necessary thing that Jesus said can never be taken away from us. In our heart, we trade it for a manner of lesser things that ultimately leave us unanchored, unsteady, anxious, and troubled all the while being with him and listening to him and enjoying him is meant to shape the way we do all those things. Crystal Humphrey, she, she wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition about Mary and Martha. She said the irony from Martha was that she felt the weight of the world on her shoulders. Meanwhile, the one who actually upholds the universe is sitting in her living room. She was torn up, torn apart, you could say, pulled away by the food and the drink and the hospitality standards, while the creator, sustainer, and savior of humanity was sitting at her table. Here's the thing I, I, I want to do as we start to wrap up this morning. History has forever left Martha in an unfavorable comparison with her sister Mary. If you've got siblings, you know how that feels. But that's not fair. You see, this story isn't the last word on Martha. And even in this story, Mary is not the only one that we're meant to emulate. This is always taught as a story where we're supposed to emulate Mary, to want what Mary wanted. And yes, we are. We're never taught to emulate Martha, right? She's distracted. But Martha does something here we're meant to emulate. She goes to Jesus, her friend, with all of her frustrations, with all of her anger, with all of her burdens, with all of her sense of failure. She goes to him with it, and she listens to him. 
And it's his word to her that reminds her of who she is in him. Friends, the same is true for you and I today. You and I can go to our friend, to Jesus, with everything. The burdens, the frustrations, the failure. And we can listen to him. We can be with him. And we can allow his words to remind us of who we are in him. To expose the things in our heart that we think we actually need in light of what's truly necessary. Friends, Jesus invites you today as your king and as your friend to come, to be with him, to sit, to listen. I mean, how bad would you love to just sit with your best friend right now? To know them more deeply, to be known by them more fully. Friends, you and I have in Jesus a friend like no other a friend who saw you while you were dead in your sin. While you in your heart were literally antagonistic towards him, dismissive of him, he saw you. And in compassion for you, he loved you by coming to live the life that you and I were created to live by God, a life of perfect joy and dependence on God the Father, and then died the death that you and I deserve to die because of our sin. He's the Savior and the King and the friend who has promised to never leave you, to never forsake you. And he invites you to come to him this morning to be with him. He sees you. He hears you. And he invites you to be with him, to listen, to know him and be known by him. What do you need more than him? Ultimately, what, what's more necessary right now? As you listen, as you listen to him, as you're with him and you hear him, his love begins to change you. It did for Martha. I told you this wasn't the last word on Martha. Depending upon how you read the chronology of the gospels, you know, the gospel writers don't put their gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry in perfect chronological order. Different writers have different intents for the way they arrange their message for the audience they originally wrote for. So we don't have a perfect chronology of all these events, but depending upon how you put the stories together, after this event, we're going to see Mary and Martha and Lazarus again, right before he enters into Jerusalem for that last time, very close to the time of his triumphal entry. He's going to get word when he's in the town of Ephraim that, that Lazarus, his friend whom he loved, has died. And you know the story. It's a familiar story. He waits four days to go. And, and when he goes, it's Martha that meets him outside of Bethany. She hears that Jesus is coming. She goes out to meet him. She asks him why he hasn't come. And it's there with Jesus that Martha is one of only two people in the entire New Testament gospel record to confess to Jesus that he is indeed the Christ. It's there, John chapter 11. Martha stands with Jesus and says, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Only two people are recorded as having made that confession, Peter and Martha. 
shortly after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, Martha opens up her home again to have a dinner celebrating Jesus, celebrating Lazarus' resurrection. And do you know what it says right there in John chapter 12? Right there, again, Martha is serving. This time, there's no gentle, compassionate rebuke of Martha. She's using the gifts that God has given her to serve Jesus, to serve his disciples, to celebrate his grace towards her brother Lazarus and raising him from the dead, and Jesus receives it. Why? Because I think the motive has changed. The loving compassion of Jesus to point out to Martha the root of the anxiety and the troubling and the distraction of her heart. She's listened to the one who knows her and loves her. And now, here she is again, this time using those same gifts to serve out of a completely different motive. We've gone from an anxiety, approval-driven serving to a grace-driven serving of Jesus and his disciples. The very thing he created her for. Listening, being with and listening to Jesus. It'll change you. Friends, what matters most? It's what matters most to Jesus is your heart. In, in this next chapter of our COVID season, will you be anchored by what is necessary? Will Jesus be your good portion? Will you make being with and hearing from Jesus through his word the thing that shapes your life in the weeks to come? If you don't know how to do that, please email us at pastors at redemptionhill.org. We would love to help you learn how to begin to be with and listen to Jesus. For those of you that call Redemption Hill home, this is a time for you to jump in with us in our community Bible reading as the whole aim of CBR is to listen to listen to what God is saying to us in his word. Now, I promise you, doing that won't make God love you any more. It won't make God love you any less. But I will tell you this, there's nothing more necessary for your joy than being with and listening to Jesus. Will that be our good portion for this next season? Let's pray it so. Let me pray for us this morning, friends. Jesus, we thank you for being so welcoming and desirous of our friendship. Not only do we have access to your throne of grace 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it's you who greets us there. And when you greet us as our king and when you greet us as our friend, we're never a bother to you never make us take a number. We'll never meet you frustrated. We'll never meet you distracted because your heart is always delighting in us. Jesus, we're the ones who get frustrated. We're the ones who get distracted. Lord, we ask this morning that you, by your Holy Spirit, would cultivate in us a heart, an unquenchable taste for you, the good portion as David prayed, Lord, give us an undivided heart that we may live in all of you and your name. Jesus, you're the one thing that can never be taken away from us. May being with you be more important to us today, tomorrow, and the next day than doing anything for you. We ask that you would cultivate this joy in our hearts for 
your glory, for our flourishing and joy. We ask it in your name. Amen. Church family, I, I love you. May the word of God dwell in you richly with all wisdom. May the word of God capture your affections for Jesus. May it comfort your heart by his grace. And may it humble your heart in cultivating a longing to sit at Jesus' feet and enjoy him forever. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to a sermon given at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church and to listen to other sermons, please visit us at redemptionhill.com.